Leads, leads, leads. What is happening? Welcome to Working Hours, a show about a place called Leeds, a time called now, and an activity called work. Working Hours wants to record 1,000 lawyers over the course of this, the most important decade in the history of the human species, and ask them about what they do all day and hear how they feel about it. My mission is to try to map out what my city, Leeds, a city that has declared a climate emergency, is doing during humanity's biggest emergency. On working hours, we hear how loiners have, are and will be coping with our multiple crises. The global pandemic, Brexit and of course the ongoing and accelerating collapsing of capitalism, the state and the climate through this decade. To do this I need people, people like you dear listener. Most of all I need people who are in Leeds or who are from Leeds to come on this show and be my guests. So please join me and help me with this mission whenever and however you can. Critically I will need people like you dear listener as financial backers. Please consider supporting or donating to this project. You can do so with a £1 monthly donation via either Patreon or Ko-fi, or you could donate any one-off amount to Working Hours via either Ko-fi or through the LibrePay button on the About page of Western Studios' website. Thank you. My name is Simon, and this is all my fault. What did you want to be when you grew up? Um, and I've been racking my brains and I can't remember. <laughs> so I don't know, it was probably um, started up as I did, like a ballerina or something and then <laughs> progressed to a vet and um, seemed to remember at one point wanting to be a social worker. Mm. Um, but, uh, I, I, you know, I didn't ever have a kind of I want to do that when I grow up and actually have I grown up yet <laughs> can you even grow up yeah <laughs> does one indeed grow up <laughs> okay so i'm going to ask the same question to you louise what did you want to be when you grew up um i felt very similar i was thinking what did i want to be i don't ever remember having a calling that i wanted um but i really did want to be a vet um oh, at one point cool. when i was really little because i loved animals and um then as i grew older realized that had to do medical procedures and injections and blood and that rolled it out for me. <laughs> yeah, I, I at one point wanted to be a surgeon and I was like not squeamish at all when I was little initially and then at some point I was just like, mm, no. You're listening to Series 3, Episode 42 and to my guests, Emma Waterland and Louise Hodgson. This is another Zoom interview recorded on the 15th of December, 2022. Happy New Year. Firstly, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks for 2,000 downloads. And it looks like they're mainly listeners from Leeds too. So thanks for that, Leeds. If you're an outlander listening from elsewhere, it's still great to have you here. But I want this to be a local show first and foremost. Apart from anything else, it keeps me more accountable, hopefully. In the real, place matters. Time matters. That's what this podcast is about, time and place. And download numbers matter too. Hopefully, growth will accelerate now. Hopefully. It has done nothing but grow so far. Passing 2,000 downloads. Getting over 50 interviews recorded last year and publishing 41. While also living in our collapsing state and having to get additional work and, 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 and. I'd done so much last year. 
I kind of amazed myself. Anyway, if you want to lock yourself into a really good advertising deal to reach a Leeds audience in an intimate way, now's your time to come and offer me your silver, because it's only going to get more expensive to do that as time goes on. Alternatively, listeners, if you already hear enough adverts and you'd like the show to be ad-free, then now is your time to join the Patreon and to encourage others to do so too. I need you so that I can help landlords and utility companies keep getting money for not doing much socially good, really. There's some dodgy audio on this episode and poor or buggy recording quality on interviews or episodes is starting to become a bit of a bugbear for me even if I am giving these to the majority of listeners for free. On this one, some of that poor quality is due to me and poor mic management on on this particular recording. So my bad, apologies. You want better, you pay premium. Okay? Okay. Finally, something else we've learnt on this journey is that a series will wrap up in January and the new season will thus begin in February. That's canon now. That's a rule. Hold me to it. Leader is an environmentally considerate design cooperative created to help take us into a sustainable future. Leader is creating and delivering sustainable building design locally and across the UK that underpins every project they undertake. Through specialist advice, Leader enables their clients to deliver projects with reduced environmental impact and create buildings that can actually focus on improving the health and well-being of their occupants. Emma Waterland joined LEADER in 2021 and is responsible for the planning and implementation of their marketing strategy, working in close collaboration with directors and members to lead a strategic approach to the ongoing development of the business. This includes looking after the brand and communications as well as promotional activities and bid management. Emma has over 20 years of experience of business development and marketing in the built environment sector, having previously worked for contractors engineering consultants and architects. Louise Hodgson joined LEADER in April 2019 and is their practice manager. Prior to this, Louise taught geography to 11 to 18 year olds in secondary school for eight years, inspiring young people to learn about the physical world around them and helping pupils to understand the environment and how they can shape the places where they live. Louise's role at LEADER is a mix of office management, finance, business support and human resources. Louise is Leader's Green Champion and completes the audit and report for their Investors in the Environment accreditation every year. Louise has a real interest in protecting the environment we can't live without and promoting continuing to be able to live on our only home. She is a valued co-op member and drives forward developments within the co-op. Go to leader.coop to find out more about Leader, especially if you have any knowledge of Passive House because they're hiring. This is the first co-op I have had on the show, and just because of the way this organisation is structured, it means we get a completely unique answer here to one of the questions. Watch out for that. Anyway, let's crack on with this episode of Working Hours with Emma Waterland and Louise Hodgson from LEADER. Uh, So I'll stay with you, Louise, for this. Mm -hmm. So what is it that you're doing now? So what I do now is I'm the practice manager for... Um, Leeds Environmental Design Associates, or LEADER. And um, that role is a mix of um, office management, HR, finance, whatever else Steve's doing. Mm. Uh, yeah, so again, 
to you and the same question what is it you're doing now yeah so I work for the same company and my role is in marketing and business development and so anything about our presence in the market and work winning um I look after that for leader okay so because you're marketing I'm going to ask you to do the the spiel bit so tell us a little bit about leader and um yeah because you're a cooperative as well you're not just we are we are a uh, a member owned cooperative um and that means that um the people who work for the cooperative are members of the cooperative and um we all get a share of any profits and all have equal say in decisions that affect the running of the cooperative um but in terms of what we actually do we are mechanical and electrical design engineers and sustainability consultants and architects. And what's your kind of reach? Are you regional, national, local? Um, So we're based in Leeds and we have a kind of, it's more of uh, an environmental um, approach to our work in that we don't like to fly globally to to service projects, but um, we're happy to um, take public transport to sites, so we don't we don't work the length and breadth of the country, but um, we do have project. We have done projects in in London or um, over in Cumbria, um, so we do w- work that's not in Yorkshire, but we are based in Leeds, and a lot of our work is local. Mm. Okay, so. Louise, you're uh-huh. working from home today. So in terms of kind of office management, <laughs> how how are you working at the moment? Like, do you do you have office space and uh, have you had that office space and have you just recently moved to a hybrid model? Or have you been yeah. working like that for a while? So we do have office space. We're based um, in Cross Green, which is like East Leeds, um, still in the centre. And we've had that since... Um, we were founded in 2000, I believe, and um, that's where we've always worked. But then since COVID and forced working from home, well, mm-hmm. uh, mandatory working from home if you can, we worked from home for a period of time and then we've gradually gone back to the office, but we've come to a hybrid working pattern that works for us. Yeah, so I'll stay with you, Louise. So uh-huh. how did you get into it? How did you come to be in the role? I used to be a teacher in a secondary school and then I had two young kids and decided to take a step back from teaching and then I, the short version is I saw the job advert and I know quite a few people that work for workers' cooperatives and was really keen to also work for a workers' cooperative mm. but didn't have any experience in the construction or engineering industry but mm. thought that I still had a lot of valuable skills that I could bring to the role so I applied and yes, that's how I got the role. Uh, yeah. So, how long have you been there now? Three and a half years. So, Emma, same question to you. How did you come to to be in this role? Um. So, my background since nineteen ninety nine has been in the um kind of built environment sector. So, I've always worked for either contractors or consultants. Um. Prior to this, I was working for um, an architectural practice mm. and I knew one of the directors of LEADER as we'd worked together before 
And I think um, same as Louise, really, in that I was interested in the idea of working for a cooperative um, rather than a, a more traditional sort of business model. Mm. I mean, how does it work practically for you guys? I mean, is, do you, I mean, is it all team meetings all the time or like what, how, how does it operate in practice? Who wants to? Uh, sorry, I'll, I'll question to you, Emma. So yeah, we do have well, we have one monthly team meeting, and then um, we have various subgroups that look after uh, different aspects of the business, like marketing or HR. Or um, so there are there are meetings, and they are fairly regular. Um, but um, we have platforms that we use for kind of debate and discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do keep that on on the sort of online platforms, um, and so yeah, there is there is discussion about decisions, um, but it tends not to get in the way too much. Mm. So, Louise, does it feel like you kind of, you know, being part of cooperative? Does it feel like you kind of know holistically about the business and what's going on everywhere, yeah. rather than yes. I think um, one of the benefits of working for a workers' cooperative is that one of the principles of being a cooperative is to be actively engaged and active participation within the running of the business. Mm-hmm. So we ask everybody to be part of one of the subgroups, and that's how we operate. So everybody can do their day job, but they're also part of either being in the finance group, the marketing group, the HR group, well, we call it people group. There's a sustainability group, quality and standards group. So there's there's loads of ways people can get involved, and so you you get a real, really good view about how a small business is run. Mm-hmm. And because we are employee owned, we we own the company ourselves, and we're democratically run, so decisions are made democratically. And that can be different whether it's a small decision or a large decision. We do give the subgroups. Um, power and accountability to run their kind of departments. We're only small, but um, we, we we allow them to make decisions as part of their remit. But yeah, I think everybody gets a good sense of what's going on in the in the organisation. Our team meetings were were open and transparent. We have an open and transparent pay structure. Yeah, but so we share everyone everything. knows what everyone else is getting. Yep. Kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So from a HR perspective, do people? come clamoring for the jobs when they're available is it easy to find the people with skills is it difficult when people join you is it like quite an adjustment period for someone kind of being in a cooperative of like oh my opinion suddenly counts like <laughs> what's it like uh, um i actually think it's a draw and it's one of um uh something that's attractive to people when um we recruit and there's not that many cooperatives in our industry there are thousands of cooperatives in the UK, but there's not that many in our industry and especially in Leeds. So I think I definitely think it's attractive. Mm, yeah. And um, yeah, I think people want to get involved. The kind of people that um, apply, they want to be part of the organisation and get involved in decision making. So mm-hmm. Emma, um, I noticed on your website that you also work with Pasta Powers and Pasta yep. Powers standards and so on. Yeah. Was that something that was planned from the beginning or is it something you recently got involved with? Like what's your relationship to Passive House? So um, the company was started by a group of people who wanted to design buildings in the most sustainable way 
possible, really, and um, that were going to try and address um, the, the environmental issues that are faced by everybody, but in particular in the construction industry. And so that has developed over time. So at the time, um, we were quite sort of cutting edge and at the forefront of um, doing environmental design. Obviously, now everybody it, it wants to go along along those lines. But um, Passive House was, I suppose, a natural step. And we were probably among the first to be sort of going down that route when when we started looking at it. It's kind of a no-brainer, really, if you're looking at environmental design to to achieve actual Passive House certification takes quite a lot of effort and and design and thought and it's not cheap but Mm. you know ultimately it's about what's right for not just for the environment but also for people who are faced with rising energy bills and you know about making things that there's got to be financial incentive as well as environmental incentive yeah um so we designed to passive house standard when we so if, if a client doesn't want to necessarily pay for the certification and actually get a tick in the box that says this is a passive house certified building yeah. we, we we apply passive house principles to a lot of our design anyway yeah. um so that it might not have the badge but it it certainly kind of follows the, those rules yeah. so as a as a you know essentially a green company in terms of policy and so on does that are you trying to extend that all the way through supply chain and like how how holistic is that is it very much internally focused or no it's it's very um i mean not just on the environmental side if you take the cooperative element of our business we try and work with other cooperatives as much as possible Mm -hmm. so um things like i mentioned the platform that we use um uh, for sharing ideas and having discussions online, that's a, that's a company called Lumio, and they're a cooperative. Um, we use a cooperative for our phone systems. Um, you know, and and that and that applies on the environmental side as well. We're currently going through the process of applying for B Corp certification. So um, that's something that we've looked at, and su- supply chain, you, you know, will will form part of that. But um, we do try and walk the walk ourselves, but also expect the people that we work closely with to be um, of a similar mindset. I suppose, and as well being a cooperative, because you're all having that conversation together. I mean, you're going to be on the same page. You're going to be, not always, obviously, but yeah. like, you know, you, the consensus that's made will move in that direction. So you you know you're kind of structurally unable to just be kind of hermetically sealed you have to be outward thinking in terms of your green agenda and so on yeah 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 uh so louise uh i want to come to you on this as well because you're kind of i said i read on your bio that you're kind of a, a bit of a green champion as well so like how did you find that coming in was that very much part of why you wanted to join leader yeah and i think that's that's the kind of people that are attracted to leader um and yeah so um, i was i was the green champion for we we were had this accreditation called investors in the environment mm-hmm. and we had that for 13 years 
Um, but we've decided in the last year to go for B Corp because um, the investing environment oh, was brilliant and it, we had to do so many things to get this accreditation to make our office and our business really environmentally friendly. But it didn't include the community and there's other aspects. The B Corp, so we, th- we thought it would, the B Corp would be a step further. Mm. So me and Emma have been doing that application that is very in-depth, which again, she's mentioned about the supply chains. It raises so many questions. Mm. Um, in a good way, it got us thinking, you have to change your purpose as a business. You, yeah. you can't just be about making profit. And that comes with all of the questions that pop up from that like what 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 are we actually doing what's the mm. purpose where are we where are we going what's our plan in the future so yeah i think the the sustainable aspect of leader and the cooperative it, it attracts those kind of people that um really like-minded but equally we don't always get on obviously but very like-minded people who want to give back to the community and do something that's good for the world yeah and i think it just sits together you don't get many cooperatives who are only about making profit that they can share with each other Mm. and you know generally speaking cooperatives tend to have a much more holistic view and want to take the environment seriously and um and you know embody environment you know good environmental practices into their into their business so yeah it it, they they go hand in hand i think Mm. well it wants to take its staff seriously as well you know like as equal partners of like Mm -hmm. yeah we're all working on this together yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to go into some of the other questions now. So um, I'm going to start with you, Louise, this time. So uh, this is the COVID question and we kind of touched on some of it. But yeah, I want you to kind of think back to when we went into lockdown, whether you locked down or not, like what you were doing at the time, what your workload was like, whether it suddenly increased or whether it drops off a cliff. You know, and then to think about how that changed your work in the long term, like has it had a long term effect on on how you're working? Yeah, so we all went to working from home when that was the directive because we could work from home, but we some people did work from home, but we weren't fully set up. So we had to get everybody set up to work from home and we all went to work from home. Um, and we quickly realised that we still needed to support people because we weren't having those informal conversations, so we set up the 11 a.m. meeting. And do you remember that, Emma? Yeah. <laughs> so every day, 11 o'clock, people would have a five or 10 minute catch up. And it ended up being quite a nice um, way of, it was always informal. There was, I mean, there was always meetings going on, but mm. it was a way to see everybody and catch up. Mm. And it was during this time that we signed up to Lumio. Because I don't think we had Lumio before. So Lumio is a, a discussion platform, but it's designed by another cooperative. So mm. they're very much designed for polls and proposals and um, hearing each other out. So we'd signed up for this platform that really helped us communicate and collaborate whilst we were all at home. Mm-hmm. And then like most businesses, we had a bit of a stop start coming back into the office. Like, oh, we're back. Yeah. Oh, no, we need to go back home. Um, so... Yep. Bit of a hokey cokey. It was a getting out. We took a while to establish what was right for us. And I think loads of businesses struggled with that. So I don't think we were alone. So we initially we were like, we let's get back into the office, but we still want a bit of freedom. So everyone could pick their days. Mm. And then people pick their days and we realized that actually you don't really see anyone and there isn't really much point need to go into the office and just sitting on a, mm. a, a video call. Mm-hmm. So um it's a really fine balance, and especially with all our decisions that 
democratically made, we really needed to come to a decision that worked for everyone. Mm. And we are, it, those democratic decisions, a majority um, voted though. So there is still a t- possibility of getting those decisions for you. You don't need to have everybody on board. But once those decisions are made, everybody has to be getting Yes. Because we have voted on it. Yes. So yeah, it took a while for us to get to a place that worked for us. So in the end, we decided to condense the office time to the beginning of the week. So we could yeah. still pick two days and come into the office two days a week. But those two days needed to be either Monday, Tuesday or Wednesday. And it means now that we we do see everybody in the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday are really nice days in the office, aren't they, Emma? Because yeah. they're busy. We see people um, and lots of meetings. But then we've got the end of the week where you can, you can, we can still plan meetings. You can intensively work at home if you want to, if that suits you. With, mm. without any instructions. Mm. And in terms of your workspace and so on, like how was the adjustment to working at home? Was that quite easy for you? Like, did you have a space? Were you able to separate work and life? Like, did it all become blurred? Like, what what was that experience like for you? Uh, it was not easy because I've got young kids. Mm. So, so just... were you like just literally trying to work in the bedroom? Well, when they were off school during that yeah. period of um, lockdown, it was just a big juggle, yeah. Um, but I, I'm lucky that I, yeah, I have a house and we had a spare room that we could work in. Um, but it was just juggling it with my partner. Were you it both just... working in the same space then, or were you? Pretty really much. Is it like or a tag the team? Of like you do a few hours. Yeah, <laughs> tag teaming with children, basically. <laughs> uh, that was that's not ideal in any scenario. No, I mean, do you feel like have you got? like now you're into this sort of more settled hybrid model like is it is it working now is it a more settled like is it does it feel better now than an everyday schlep into the office kind of thing yeah I really like hybrid working I I wouldn't want a fully remote job I really like seeing people and feeling more part of a team and you can work together collaborate on virtual but I think you miss that connection um and those informal chats and Mm. I think that that's still really important. So hybrid working really works for me. Mm. I really like. And you'd miss the people as well. I mean, you know, especially in a cooperative, like you're working in a cooperative to cooperate with other people. Exactly. You want to see them. Yeah. And also we found that newer staff members or graduates who needed that informal support and almost learning by osmosis by being in the office with seniors, that is, is almost impossible at home. So I think... To support newer workers, it's really important to be with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, Emma, same question to you, if if you can remember the question. It was a bit ago. Um, but, yeah, like your, your kind of COVID experience, was it an increase in work? Was like, because a lot of people, it was kind of, all right, we shut down. It was all chaos. Yeah. Don't know what's going on. But then it was kind of like, oh, well, I'm just sitting around not doing anything now. Like, obviously, yeah. that wasn't leader's experience. But, yeah, how was it for you? I actually joined a leader in the middle of lockdown. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that was strange. That did you start, interview remotely starting... as well? Um, did I? Yes, I did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I started in March 21. Mm. So, um, yeah, interviewed remotely. I mean, I did know a few of them before anyway because because of my connections in in the kind of industry but then 
starting a new company and meeting every morning at 11 o'clock on Zoom. And then we had a, a welcome social, which was an online escape room. And, uh, it, you know, <laughs> it, it was very strange. And it, at the time, you, you just, you, you roll with it, don't you? Because that's what you've got to do. And, and you try and make things enjoyable. We used to have online yoga lessons. Um, did do we? Yeah. And um, not that I ever did one. But I loved them. <laughs> um, we did loads, actually. I was really yeah. trying to find and that then connection. As, as the situation allowed, um, we would meet up for a walk somewhere or, yeah. um, you know, just to try and um, say, say hello face to face. So, yeah, the first time I did actually meet everybody um was quite quite strange but personally um so i also moved house in the middle of lockdown and um had a lot of work to do on the new house and so that was quite quite a juggle sort of mm. trying to find a space all on a regular basis as renovations were happening mm. but um cuz me and my husband were both in the same boat but you know, this we got some we got some screens and some laptop stands and some mm. keyboards and just mm. set up where we could. Mm. Yeah. Um, how were you both on the kind of well the 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 health and safety sides? I mean, were you, were you taking breaks? Were you sitting properly, or was it all hunched over? Trying to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I think it's it's funny that we do we I mean it's obviously important that we do those assessments but then sometimes you look around the office in the office mm. and, you, and you think I'm sure you shouldn't be sitting like that <laughs> <laughs> and but you know you've got to you've got to um, try and encourage people to to yeah. be healthy yeah we've got that. somebody's got a standing desk in the office haven't they oh yeah 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 they're good I I bought one for myself. Yeah, it, it's nice to to have the variation. Let's do social media because I think it'd be interesting. So I'll start with you, Emma, on this one. So what I want to look at here is, again, how social media has affected your work. But I also want to look at kind of the amount of work, the amount of time that you have to spend on social media if you do any, and whether you feel that time spent uh, is well spent. Does it show, you know, visible results to you? Can you definitely see that this is beneficial? Okay, um, so here's where I um, show my age because when I first started working for an M and E contractor in '99, um, I think we'd only just got email, yeah. so um, social media just didn't exist. It wasn't a thing. Yeah. Um, I think we used to send a printed newsletter out to our customers on a kind of six monthly basis so yeah I've seen a, a massive change in kind of what form marketing takes and advertising and communication so that's really interesting but I think it's important to keep quite balanced with it we mm. we don't post daily and we don't we don't actually do uh an e newsletter because I'm very conscious of the kind of stuff that I get in my inbox and I don't want to become part of that kind of email litter. So I think our our presence on social media is quite a light 
touch and it's also quite friendly and informal and um, we are trying to kind of work on that and build up um, a presence as a sort of industry thought leader and mm. and can lead some conversations about um, topics in the industry. But um, mm. I think I've been um, tasked with kind of building that up. When I joined Leader, uh, we had a very active Twitter account, um, but didn't really do much else. And I'm now doing an overhaul of the website and I've built up an Instagram account and I'm oh, sorry. Um, There's so, been a few dogs on this show. Yeah, I bet they have. Yeah. <laughs> dogs and children. Yeah. And airplanes. <laughs> um, so uh, does that answer the question? Yeah, I mean, like maybe just tell us a little bit more. You were kind of going a bit more into the, the kind of marketing strategy. Like, um, what do you... I, I would imagine you you have to be really quite targeted with it. It's, you know, you can't be scattershot because you are very much, you know, you're looking for particular clients and particular clients or potential clients are looking for, you know, you, I suppose. Yeah, although I mean, there are there is a level of targeting, but then it's about just raising our profile generally yeah. so that so that when that that client randomly is looking for somebody who might do passive house design in Leeds or sustainable advice uh, in, you know, York or whatever, that they find you then. Mm-hmm. And and um, we do have repeat work with some of our clients, but um, quite often it could just be a random <clears throat> email or phone call coming into the office. Um, and it's really difficult to get a handle on how that they found you um obviously you know you can ask them oh, it might have just been a google search but even that in itself is a an art isn't it and making mm. sure you come up in the searches so there is to some extent there is a scattergun a- approach because it's a bit sort of if you if you throw enough out there somebody yeah. will pick it up yeah yeah um but yeah then then some of it is specifically targeted at certain clients so mm. it's a mix really uh so louise mm-hmm. uh same question for you like how how much social media work do you have to do i would imagine yeah not, not much emma yeah. does most of our social media she um, just has to like everything when i yeah, tell her to i do like everything <laughs> but um i would say um linkedin is a form of social media yeah, yeah. Oh, and yeah. we've recruited through um, well, no, we haven't recruited through LinkedIn. We've, we've had we definitely used, yeah, we, and we've used it as a recruitment tool. And we post, you post on LinkedIn, don't you? Mm-hmm. Um, and yep, that's part definitely. of our social media spectrum. Yeah, I've, I've been more involved in the recruitment side, so I've used LinkedIn. Mm. Do you have to, like, do you have to build any sort of specific adverts or target those specifically? Or again, do you go quite sort of scattershot for recruitment ads? We do a bit of both. We have done a bit of both. Um, you can you can do some quite specific targeting and say this is the type of person I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we also will just post as a, as a company to say you know we're hiring. Yeah. Um, and you building up the followers on LinkedIn, which you've done loads on all our social, but that just means that when you do post, mm-hmm. um, you've just got such a wider spread of people mm-hmm. that will see it. Yeah, and you quite often get, um, so for example, um, we work quite closely with the Green Building Store 
and their their spread kind of goes wider than ours, but mm. they are a, a, a quite a strong connection of ours. So if we post uh, a vacancy, they will generally share it, and you know you get that organic growth. So mm. yeah. having said that, it is it has been difficult to recruit, hasn't it, Louise? We've had periods of yeah success, and then I think a lot of people have struggled in the last six months or so. Recruitment's been a, a struggle for some people. Mm. And, Having said that, we've got a really good team at the moment. So I think we've come to a place where, yeah, we've we struggled. We had a difficult period. Now we've got a really good team. Yeah, it's sort of enough people there to the right balance. Yeah. yeah, and it's finding the right people. Yeah, um, that want to work for our kind of business. Yeah, yeah. Since we have brexited, have you noticed any change in your work? This is a difficult question because um, it's so tied up with the same time period of COVID. Mm. Me personally, because I'm not one of the architects or engineers, I don't feel like it's impacted me. Mm. But as a business, I've definitely heard people say that their work has been impacted because they couldn't get hold of products or suppliers. Mm. And we are part of a large process when it comes to building. So Mm. I know that there's been delays in, and that's, then impacted their workload. Mm. Um, so I don't know any more than that. Can you say any more, Emma? No, I mean, it's so, it, it is so enmeshed. You know, we've had a double whammy. Mm-hmm. And I think my personal impression is that Brexit has been pretty uh, catastrophic for us. Mm-hmm. I struggle to understand how that's affecting our job market specifically for leader Mm. Um, but I suppose that's to do with maybe graduates being able to come over and work I'm not sure Um, but supply supply on labor supply maybe yeah but it's but it's material supplies as well you know Mm -hmm. I mean so where we're specifying ground source heat pumps or um, you know boilers and pipes and wires and all the stuff that we design um, obviously, with the passive house kind of side of things, a lot of those things are not made in the UK. Mm. So uh, supply issues are a real problem. And I know personally, you know, from doing a building project myself, the cost of things has just gone absolutely through the roof mm. um, materials. So um, whether that's Brexit related or COVID related or just a perfect storm of everything all at mm-hmm. once. Uh, it's difficult to pick things out, mm. but I know it won't have Brexit it certainly won't have helped. Mm. Yeah. I just thought of an impact on it. We had to source an inverter for our PV, the solar panels on the roof, and just couldn't get them. So we had the full summer this year of not mm. getting any energy supply from our solar panels because we couldn't source an inverter and the people we use, we know the people to speak to. Yeah. We just couldn't get one. Yeah. So that impacted our office. It wasn't um, ideal because our bills went up because we weren't using our solar panels. Yeah, and that's through summer when, you know, we've had the most sunlight ever. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> like all that energy that would have been... Attention. So annoying, yeah. yeah. So obviously as a, you know, eco-friendly, ecological cooperative, you you changes on your radar and on your agenda. And to a large degree, um, you're obviously as a business responding to it and uh, designed in response to it. But my question is about how 
in your work, you can do things to either raise awareness or increase mitigation or adaptation regarding climate change. So uh, I'll start with you again, Louise. I just think it runs through the core of our values and our principles and, and everything we do in terms of how we run the business. I already mentioned we have that investors in the environment accreditation and we won awards through that as well mm. over the years. And now we're going through B Corp and it just absolutely forms part of our purpose. Mm. And the people that um, want to work for us also share those values. Mm. I mean, how does that affect you personally? Like, you know, as a green champion, as someone who's come out of, you know, other other work in and other sectors and to go into this, I mean, is it kind of a dream job to a degree? Yeah. Well, I mentioned I used to be a teacher. I was yeah. a geography teacher. Yeah. So I, I was already on about the environment. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it must be nice to be in a company where it's like, yeah, you know, I don't feel bad about what what I do. Yeah, and I think when I good. when I left teaching, I found it really hard to think about what I was going to do next because mm. you, in teaching, it's such a rewarding profession. I mean, it's yeah. very challenging and really stressful in many ways, but it's so rewarding because you has know that meaning. What, absolutely, yeah. And I wanted a job that I knew would have meaning, and I knew that I was contributing in some way. Mm. So that was really what was really attractive about leader for me. Okay, Emma, same question to you. It is what we do. Mm. You know, and Louise is right in terms of, you know, how how we have it running through the core of our business and our activities and our, you know, day-to-day stuff. But our job is to design buildings that don't harm the environment mm. and that make the most of natural resources and don't rely on fossil fuels or, you know, don't produce any carbon and... So it, it's what we do. So if that wasn't the nuts and you know the nuts and bolts of our business activity, if that wasn't running through leader like letters through a stick of rock, mm. then there would be something wrong. Mm. Twenty odd years ago, it it was a a, a group of um, friends and associates that that decided something needed to happen that that wasn't the norm, there wasn't the standard that everybody else was doing, and they wanted to try and do something better. Yeah. And so now we are here. Leader have been at the forefront, as I say. Yeah, it is absolutely the lifeblood of everything that we do, really. Mm. Was it a big draw to you? Was it nice to kind of jump at the opportunity of like, Um So oh. where, where I was before, their approach to sustainability was um, a bit kind of skeptical mm. a bit cynical about it you know the, the 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 term greenwash is used quite a lot and um they they said well you know the, the best way to be sustainable is to just design the building well from the outset and to make sure that there's no waste and but it but there is a lot more to it than that it's not mm. you know there are there are nice pithy things that you can say about it but um there are, I don't think there are many um, companies that really walk the walk. Mm. Well, I mean, the whole life cycle for a start. I mean, yeah. the fact that you're considering the end of the building's life, how it's going to be taken yeah. apart. Yeah. That's like, you were already just, you know, 100% ahead of everyone else from that. Yeah. And so I suppose um, it's all, it's always been, it's, you know, I would, prior to the architects, I was um, consultants and um, they were starting to develop their sustainability team and mm. that was obviously starting to become a growth area of the business so 
something I've always been aware of. Yeah, I was interested in in leader for that reason. But I would say personally, I'm, I I couldn't describe myself as a green tra- champion. I, I you know I I will try where I can. Um, but I'm not as good as Louise. <laughs> I mean, you're still you're still working in this. In, yeah, yeah. The that's, that's, that's where you that's, spend most that's of the time. Contribution. Yeah, well, it is, but it's a massive contribution. <laughs> yeah, most of us we have to go and you know it's like I have to go and work for an airline or whatever. You know, it must feel better on that level at least. It's like, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm doing a bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it all gets cancelled out by my family. That's 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 what I'll say. <laughs> so I'm going to start off with you then this time, Emma. Um, the UBI question. So mm-hmm. if there was a universal basic income, yeah, um, how do you think that would change your work? Would you still be doing what you're doing now? Would you do it as much? Would you do something different? Would you do something else? Um. So um. I, I saw this question and mulled it over, and I'm not—I'm not quite sure—is the answer. I—I mm. I suspect I would probably be doing the same, mm. um, and maybe that's because I don't—maybe I don't fully understand the concept of of a, a UBI, um, and maybe you could explain that. <laughs> it's basically so basically you're just getting a benefit that's enough to pay your bills essentially so you're yeah. getting an income that gave you a benchmark living standard you know so you can't fall beneath it mm-hmm. um and then if you want to include universal basic services as well which would be like free transport and libraries and other other provisions so that you don't have to worry about those expenses because they're essential expenses for life that that kind of thinking but the question is also another way of asking if money was no object what would you what would you do um i i i find it really difficult to answer as an individual yeah no as an individual i can't i don't feel like i can answer it i think society as a whole Mm. would really benefit Mm. From my own perspective, I I can't quite see that. If money was no objective, you know, if I didn't have to think about finance and paying for things, mm. then I think I suspect I would probably be doing something that was a lot more sort of directly involved with helping people or. <laughs> I, I thought know. you were going to say something more kind of extreme sporty then. I don't know why. I thought oh, God. I'd be doing something really dangerous. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Extreme <laughs> digging. That's about the extent of my... Um... <laughs> no, um, I really struggle with that question I've got. <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, I mean, this is an interesting one as well. Like, I don't know. But from from my recent thinking is that I think it's related to, you know, not sort of knowing what you wanted to be when you grew up kind of thing of like, what do I want to do? Because you'd then have a new puzzle, isn't it? Yeah. Like, yeah. What what, what, <laughs> what am I supposed to be doing? What What's what's my role now? If it, uh, you know, I've, I've, go and get a job is something that you can understand. It's kind of yeah. like, yeah, I'll go and do that. And But I think it might be just like, well, I don't know. I'd have to think of what I was doing. Yeah. Because so many people attach meaning to their work as mm. part of their life, and that, yeah. that's them. 
So taking that away is difficult, a difficult concept, isn't it? If she didn't need to work, if she didn't need to earn money, mm. I'd like to create stuff. Mm. Mm. That's a good answer. Uh, Louise? I'm glad Emma went first because it is a tricky question. Um, yeah, I'm, oh, yeah. I, I think society and morally, I agree. I am in, in favour of yeah. the UBI um, and would like to see more equal distribution of wealth. And um, would I still be working? I'd, I, if Lida was still going, I'd probably give some time um, happily to keep because that's. Um, I want to do that for the business, but yeah. maybe I'd do something else. I might have an, like an animal sanctuary or something. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering she knew I was going to say that. It's <laughs> <laughs> still, still the secret vet there. I know, I, I really do want an animal sanctuary. You rescue battery hens. I probably would. And rabbits. <laughs> So you, are you both familiar with the the sort of Upton Sinclair quote of like, it's very difficult to get a man to understand something when his wage depends on him not understanding it? Uh, I wasn't aware of that, but no, that's good. So I think it's, I, I think that question for you two, because you're both working in a, co a groovy cooperative, it's <laughs> kind of like, well, I, of course I'd still work. I'd do a great job. It's It's great. <laughs> It's too, so it's not hard, really. It's too easy because it's just like, no, I would do this job. Good. <laughs> That's how I've just reinterpreted it. Okay. <laughs> not what you said at all. <laughs> okay. So this, I, I'm going to start with Louise this time, but I think this is quite a hard question as well. So this is the change question. So if there's, you can change any three things about your work right now, what what would they be? Yeah, again, I looked at this question and thought, I'm not sure, because we work for a workers' cooperative, we're employee-owned, democratically run, and if we want to change something, we can change it. That's the best thing about where we work. And for a few years, it would be, there'd be a situation where someone would say, oh, it'd be good if we did that, and then nothing would really happen. So then we put a proposal system in place where if you want to propose something, there's a structure to follow, there was flowcharts, this is what you do, this is what you do. And then it gets to the point where we've discussed it and then we vote on it. Mm. And there can be really big proposals about, we've had one recently about paying overtime and paying time in lieu. And that's a really big change to how we pay ourselves. Um, but then there can be small proposals like, I think we should buy something for the office that's, um, I don't know, some, can we buy some more plants for the office? They can be really small and that can just be a poll, an instant poll. Mm. So anything we want to change, that's the beauty of a workers' co-op, we can change. Mm. Um, but having said that, I think something I really like us to do more of is one of the guiding principles, the seven principles of being a co-op, one of them is to give back to the community. And I wish we had more time and resource because we're just, we're just so busy, aren't we, mate? And we never, yeah. we've planned things to be able to give, give our time. And we do donate. We've been talking about um, giving donations to local community groups um, for mm. Christmas, but I'd really like us as, as a as a team of people to give more back to the community if I could change one thing. And I, it's just, we really struggle with time because everybody's really overworked. So Emma, same question. I would like our office to be a passive house building. That's a great answer. 
It's in the pipeline, and we have talked about it a lot. But it's again yeah. one of those things. It's a long-term plan of ours, isn't it? Yeah. Um. What? Uh. So, what was the question again? Three things that I would change about my work. Change, yeah. Yeah, I'd like the engineers to have a bit more time on their hands to do things like Louise has mentioned, but also to engage a bit more with the thought leading side of my strategy. <laughs> I can come up with ideas, but I'm not an engineer. I can't talk about, you know, the benefits of um, passive house. I can't talk about, you know, what are people doing wrong with air source heat pumps? Um, I need I need technological input, and um, people are just too busy to kind of pull themselves out of their project work and write something down for me. So, Louise, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you'd like to sort of uh, touch upon or anything that you want to bring up? We've talked about everything I've anticipated. Um, thank you for sharing the questions. I really enjoyed it. Mm, good, good, good. Uh, Emma, well, do you want to give us, like, where can people find Leader? And uh... Yeah, so our website is um, leader.coop. Mm-hmm. It's one That's L-E-D-A dot C-O-O-P. Um, and yeah, um, check us out. Um, it is, it is going to have an overhaul very shortly. So, uh, <laughs> comes with that caveat, but, um, yeah. And um, if you are interested in, um, sustainable services, building services, architecture, design, engineering, or cooperatives, um, check us out, get in touch. And why wouldn't you be, I say? <laughs> exactly what's it's wrong way, with you if you're not it's the way forward um yeah no i i am very surprised to see not not just one but two sort of passive house companies in the city so yeah that's really good to see what made you find us I, yeah. well i went through the list of co-ops so you okay. know the co-op society there's a whole kind of list uh which i'd been on before ages ago I, and i kind of wanted to set this up as a co-op I can't have a co-op of myself. (laughs) (laughs) So you're you're interested already in co-ops then? Yeah, so my background is in unions. So I I was down in London, worked at the TUC for about 10 years, was working at Union Learn, did a bunch of qualifications while I was doing that, got all excited about lifelong learning and so on. And because I've had so many jobs, like... I was always, my plan was I was going to make films. I was going to make, be a filmmaker. I didn't care what I was doing. And I just did a bunch of jobs and then did some traveling and stuff. And then I ended up at the TUC and I was kind of like, well, the film thing's not really going to happen unless I make a real effort on it. I came back to Leeds, did a bunch more jobs. So I was like, I've done all these jobs. I've got all that union experience. I think I've got a pretty unique take on work and modern working and so on. So I was like, I'll do this. So that, yeah, that's how I came into it. But I I was already aware of co-ops and some of the history of co-ops and so on. So, yeah, I wanted to have them on. I did want to have on here a big thing. Like I wanted to have more about democracy at work. And I'm thinking about bringing that in as a question. Um, I wanted to have more talk about unions. Again, we've done some of that. I'm going to try and make that more built into the episodes. So, yeah, like I say, this is partly... I kind of want to promote some working class voices. I want to promote some good companies, but I also kind of want to record what's happening because I think of this as quite a transition time. Yeah, that's that's my plan with it all. Again, surprised how many co-ops were still 
in Leeds. And I was especially surprised to see you guys because it was like, oh, that's, you know, because it's quite a high, like it's a skilled co-op, you know, like you yeah. engineering and so it's not like it's just a bunch of people that have got together and gone, right, we're going to, we're going to create this company all by ourselves. And I suppose, you know, going back to that initial question of like the recruitment and so on and working in a co-op, there's a different experience and putting those, getting those processes in place, you know, because you've got to build them. Well, some you can kind of model, but you've got to build a lot of them from scratch, like you were saying, Louise, with that process of proposals. Mm. I think um, there's a big element of co-ops supporting each other as well. Mm. So we tried to get involved in, well, the Campus UK is a really good way of training and support, a good um, place for that. They've they've overseen our policies and our contracts and things. Mm. Um, so we've, we've had support through them. And there has been some West Yorkshire co-op meetings, but they, again, they fell down a bit during COVID. We've been thinking about us trying to set that one up again, haven't we? Yeah, it's something that we ought to pick up and lead, really. Yeah, we're really keen to be supportive of each other. And like Emma had said, in terms of our procurement of products and things, we um, um, always try and go for cups first. Mm. I suppose, is there any kind of like business prejudice of sort of people will overlook you because you are a co-op or? Can't see. What do you think of I don't think they would rule us out of getting work because we're a co-op. I think there is sometimes an attitude of, um, you know, we're considered to be sort of tree-hugging hippies types. Well, in comparison to the big corporates out there, yes, absolutely. I think Colin's in a bubble with the tree-huggers. Yeah. Sounds yeah, like you're... a nice place. Yeah, <laughs> tree-hugging is just your world. I just didn't realise that people seem like that. <laughs> and you know i think uh, the comment that i've come across sometimes is um along the lines of uh, oh you know what you're trying to save the world one passive house at a time <laughs> like, well yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um so um yes we are unusual and there is going to be um an element of maybe misunderstanding or um, misconceptions and um, we will always do our best to educate and enlighten. Mm. Go on, sorry. I was thinking about, um, so I don't know whether this fits into your work mould really, but there's a project in Leeds um, that we were um, involved in from a design perspective that is a cooperative um, of people doing self-builds mm. um and there was a it was featured on a tv program and um, it's called chaco it's just on um on the yeah. inner the ring road out near towards um sheep scar yeah yeah so i don't know whether you yeah yeah well i, I you're tried, aware of I, it i want yeah i tried to get someone from it on because i was assuming that there would be someone working on it and they were kind mm -hmm. of like well, we're not really working on it, so it's not. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I'd be interested to to hear about it. Yeah, for sure. Mm, it's yeah. Um, I'll send you the link to the program if you haven't already seen it. Yeah, but... yeah. Um, but yeah. So, do you know much about that? Like, how did you get involved? Were you there for the full process, or 
Yeah, so we did the design. I think we did the architecture as well, didn't we, Louise? It's just going back before my time, but um, um, it's been a long time getting out of the ground. But a lot of the time, these projects are delays, and they they just go on years. Um, yeah, and it's not, yeah, it's been all over for a while. It, it, it's they're not built to pacify our standard, but I think they are AECB, which is an equivalent sort of British. Mm. Um. Uh, classification but um it's an interesting project and um uh, in in your concept of the whole work thing uh, they do have other jobs but mm. they are required to spend a certain amount of time for the for the cooperative and working on the projects and mm. some of them must be in by now mm. they are yeah, I think being a cooperative has active participation, so I'm not sure whether yeah. that's that's one of the principles. But I don't know if it does classes work. Mm. No, but housing helps. There's another one, Lilith. There. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard about that a while ago. Um, yeah, that's a really interesting one because that's a hemp creek build, was it? Yes. Yeah. If you're interested in how co-ops, cooperatives, and unions, and there isn't that much involvement because um we we're employee owners. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um there's a really large workers co-op called Sumer Whole Foods. I don't know if you've heard of that. Mm. It's in Elland in Halifax. Mm. And they're really big. And I think they do have some union involvement, mm. um, which is quite an odd dynamic because they're a workers co-op. Mm. But I don't I don't really know much more about that, but I just know that they do have some union involvement. Mm. Well I mean it was kind of to some degree, you've got a lot of cooperatives coming out of people, for, you know, frustrated unionists, isn't it? Like, or practical unionists who are like, let's just do this. Um, but I, they, they kind of have a intersecting parallel, but not, you know, history, don't they? They're like, they're not mm -hmm. doing the same thing, but similar-ish. Uh, but uh, to a degree, it's about more worker power, isn't it? Yeah, and I think... In I can't see how a small work employee-owned worker co-op like ours would need a union because if we want to change something, that's we can do that. We have the decision making. Yeah, the the ideology of it all is um, kind of would make a union a bit redundant in theory. Mm. I've avoided asking kind of a democracy at work question because I was like, I think for most people it just blow their mind. <laughs> just be like mm. what. Which we have to explain. Yeah, we have to explain what a co-op is. And if you say, most people think of the co-op on the high street, mm. um, and oh, you work for the co-op. No, no, we're a workers' co-op. And then I have to explain what that is to most people. Most people don't know what it is. Mm. Yeah, which is why I wanted to get some co-ops on as well. Yeah. So I had another question on the cooperative front. So when you're all meeting, like, are you picking up skills and knowledge and so on from other colleagues doing completely separate jobs and does that like in terms of power balance does that affect anything do you all feel that you do have each say so i'll start with you louise i can't do you all feel i can't speak for everybody i hope you don't feel that you're okay i get a say but i'm i'm a junior partner like do you feel that you no i think we all have an equal say in how the yeah. business is run yeah but operationally, when people are running projects, 
there's normally a project lead and there's also senior engineers and senior architects and then there's graduates. So there's, there is a structure mm. in how we operate operationally mm. in projects. And then we do learn off each other. We've set up knowledge shares, monthly knowledge shares, where other people can share, especially if you've been on a training course, you might then bring it back and do a knowledge share to everybody else. And then also in the team meetings every month, um, there's set agenda, which is like finance, people, marketing. So, and then whoever's in those subgroups talks about those elements. So we're all learning off each other then. Mm. And then if somebody else joins the co-op, if it, we have a new person, we encourage them to drop into every single subgroup to see how it works. Mm. So by the time they've been with us for six months, they've seen a whole overview of the business. And then they can also decide which subgroups they want to be a member of and which ones they want to participate. Emma, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I think um, Louise's is an interesting role because she ha she has quite a few different hats, as in, um, you know, in terms of the practice management. So she's got, um, she looks after HR, but she's also involved in finance quite heavily and invoicing and things. Um, so I have perhaps fewer hats, but um, I get a sense of what's going on elsewhere so I'm part of the people subgroup so I do have quite an input to the HR side of things I absolutely do not have a finance brain and you know so I still find all of that a bit baffling but nothing is kind of off the table mm -hmm. so everything is shared everything's really transparent mm. if I wanted to, to know something to understand something then I would just need to ask and for me that's the big difference in the, the company that I now work for mm -hmm. whereas before you know there were directors having meetings behind closed doors mm. um very hierarchical but traditional because lawyers are complex yeah, very, very traditional yeah. very traditional um but um no I think I think everybody it, 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 it's not just, um, we're not just saying this, it is literally everybody feels, I think everybody feels that they have equal say in stuff. Well, the votes we have on the proposals, it yeah. literally comes up, everybody's, because it's all done on Lumio, which is this online platform, everybody has that vote. And everybody, and everybody sees how, you, how you're voting as well. I'm very open. Yeah, so there's no, there's nothing cloak and dagger about anything mm. Mm. and it's like when you said voting before you know like to a listener that might be like oh well you know you're just having a vote that doesn't make any difference but it's like the vote comes at the end of a deliberative process where you oh, yeah. actually look at yeah. things and it's oh, yeah. like oh we should do this what do we want to do it's like no let's have uh, a discussion about I it know, and, that, and that's the proposal uh, process that that Louise was talking about earlier that has been developed and I'll be honest when I first saw it I was thinking what is this mm. you know this is just like so uh, <laughs> kind of blew my mind because it, it was so detailed and it was so precise and you had to do this and then this and then this and then this and but it, it makes so much sense mm. it's funny you say that I wrote because I wrote that I know, I know. I'm sorry. I do make sense. To me. Like, I know. Do this, and then we can do this. But it yeah. is detailed, isn't it? Like, it's really detailed. But then, you know, in the, as an as a newcomer, that that was really kind of like it, it took some getting my head around. Mm -hmm. As did all the, you know, 
oh, we don't use Outlook. We use um, Mozilla and we don't, we use Lumio for this and we use oh, Trello yeah. for that and we use all these names and everything had a different login. And I was like, oh, <laughs> what the hell? There's a lot to take in. You did well at being onboarded eventually, Emma. <laughs> and I just, I was, so, I, was, I was a rabbit in the headlights. But yeah, um, once you've kind of got your feet under the table and 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 seen seen it in action, mm. it makes total sense. It's like a steep learning curve, but you you were just yeah yeah yeah. Um, so I know another question that I have for you both: Are you both familiar with Taylorism, Fordism? Just no, Louise is not in Emma's shaking. No. Okay, uh, so for Emma and the listeners' benefit, the Taylorism, Fordism. So Fordism is like the production line invention of the production line. Okay, yeah. is the scientific management. So breaking down a, a job uh, or a process into all the subsequent processes to speed things up, but also to kind of disempower workers and fragment knowledge and so on. Um, and now one of the things, you know, like there's all these discussions about productivity and this that and the other and i know from my own working experience silo working is a big problem for organizations and so on so it's kind of like we've invented this process or now it's uh it's hindering us so yeah so i want you both uh, i want to get you both to kind of speak on your thoughts in terms of like has being a cooperative eliminated silo working within the organization like have you have you cracked the internal comms problems? Like, you know. I think, we're, I think we've got to a better situation now. We're, we're in the office more together where we are sharing ideas and collaborating and connecting and communicating a lot more. It, we went through a difficult period of working from home, all being at home and doing our jobs at home and then coming into the office but not really seeing anybody. And now we're in a much better position. And we've come up with a, with a hybrid working pattern that works for us. So I do think we are better at communicating and working together and seeing what everybody else does. Mm. I'm not sure where else to go. Like we've already talked about being really open and transparent. So, I mean, how did the structure hold up during lockdown, do you think? Do you think that was a real kind of test for, did it kind of destroy that openness and that ability to to kind of... No, I don't think so. I think we had it. We went from that point of trusting everybody to work from home. And I remember one of our directors saying, I think we communicate more, if anything, because we we're all going through it together. We had that yeah, feeling yeah. of going through it together at the beginning. Yeah. Um, and I think we more struggled coming out of lockdown because we weren't sure where were we in the office, we were at home, and, yeah. and then coming to the office wasn't enjoyable because you didn't see with them many people. Yeah. So that was where we really struggled. Okay, so Emma, um, on the kind of Taylorism, Fordism thing, like, do you, I, and, you know, you've come into the workplace a bit sooner, so you, I guess you've come from somewhere else. I mean, you must be familiar with, like, working in organisations where it's just like, if these two people had just had a conversation with each other. That yeah, 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 so, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. like, I mean, do you, do you know what I'm getting at there? Do you, mm. do you, do you see it as a much better solution? Has that problem been eliminated, do you think? Um, I think it's difficult to make that claim largely because there's only 10 of us in the office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
you know, in an organization where you had a hundred employees, I can see how that might, you might see a massive difference mm -hmm. from a, a traditional model to a cooperative model. Mm -hmm. But because there's only 10 of you anyway, at any one time, you you can kind of be aware and know mm. what what your colleague is working on, what they're doing, what their issues might be, and vice versa. Mm. And I, I can't really claim that that's because we're a co-op or otherwise. It's just that the, the size of the, of the organization means that that's how it is. Mm. Um, Maybe one of the points of being a co-op is because we're so open and transparent about everything. And being approachable for the people, I think it's easier. You could ask people questions. You can ask anyone in the company. Yeah. Well, yeah. And they kind of know what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. And probably just the nature of our work as well. So that, um, you know, we, we have small teams each, each working on specific projects. And so they need to be aware of the, the whole picture. I don't think silo working would would be even possible in that situation because they have to collaborate with the architect or the QS or the mm. you know and that's external contacts but but also internally between the job leader and the graduate engineer it's a it's about um communicating working towards the project goals um but also getting some education and training in for the younger engineers and mm -hmm. that is all just you can't do that in a in a silo mm. final question and then i'll wrap it up there is a, a need to kind of grow do you have that capacity to expand or would that spoil things like do you need to do you need to just keep a steady income or did or is it like get more customers like what's what's the plan for you guys on that front like because yeah how 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 are you dealing with growth what's the attitude to growth as a as a business or as individual so i'll start with you louise i i don't think we need to grow for growth's sake i mm. think what we need to do is our purpose is provide good jobs for our workers because mm. that's that's part of our purpose is providing good jobs for our workers and also I don't necessarily think we need to grow as a business. I don't know. I don't think we need to grow in terms of our size, in terms of our people. Yeah. I'm not saying that we'd rule it out, and I think it could be possible in the future. But I don't. I don't necessarily think growing and being being a bigger business needs to be in, in the plan. Mm -hmm. Okay, Emma. From a marketing perspective, our our goal is to um, become the sort of go-to when people think of sustainable design in the region, we want to be at the forefront. And in order to do that, we need to really raise a profile and 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 just kind of get get our name out there. Mm. Um I don't think we necessarily need to grow to do that in terms of the type of work we do. I think I would like to see more of large kind of headline grabbing projects we have one or two of those at the moment i think i think i'd like to see more on our books mm -hmm. and maybe to support that type of work we might need to take on more staff but yeah louise is right not growth for growth's sake i think if we were able to reach a better size that would enable us to free up a bit of time to give back to the community, mm. then 
that is going to require more resource because mm. you know the, the alternative to that is that it requires less work and that's not really going to be financially feasible so i'll flip back to you louise quickly just on this so uh-huh. if you had to increase capacity like you know there's more work so you need more staff for something but it's going to be kind of short term how do you square that circle i mean would it would it be because you couldn't bring a temping kind of thing well so... we we don't want to employ short-term work because we want yeah. to employ someone that would be a member of the co-op and actively participate and get involved and be involved in the running running of the co-op and so you'd would be looking like to, to have that work increased at yeah so then i can totally see what emma said about if, if our workload increased We'd need the people to support that. And I could see that we might grow out um, if we had a big... And our projects go on for so long that mm. it's not re- they're not really that short term. Mm. Um, so if we had something big coming, we do we do look at that regularly and see yeah. how we're going to resource projects. Yeah, you're not going to need someone additional for three weeks or... We have in the past to cover gaps. Because we're small, mm. um, we have occasionally used people um temporary temporarily but it's not something we would like to do mm-hmm. but even if they even if anyone's joined us temporarily that we invite them to the meeting because we're yeah. spreading the co-op work co-op yeah, message yeah. thank you again to emma and louise for being my guests thanks again to all my guests and thanks to you Leeds, for being my subject and of course most of all thanks to you my dear listener i was hoping to double drop this episode and the next one, before Christmas, then on Christmas Eve. Then I went to the pub, and then it was Christmas, and then I just spent a week playing video games. Anyway, if you want more of this show, then have a look for episode 43 right away. If it's not there, it's on its way. There's links to the BBC show mentioned in this interview, as well as links to the UK Co-op's website and B Corp UK, if you'd like to know any more about any of those things. And if you want more Passive House info, then go to listen to episode 27 of this series of Working Hours, Work Has Standards. You can follow this show on Twitter at Working Hours 3 and on Instagram at Working Hours Pod Leads. Use the hashtag Working Hours Pod Leads to stay up to date on when new episodes are being released, to DM me with your questions, or most importantly, to get in touch if you'd like to be my guest on this show. Please do chuck in anything you can to help the show grow. Go to ko-fi.com forward slash working hours and join me there for a pound a month or you can make a one-off donation of whatever amount. Uh, You can also go to patreon.com forward slash working hours pod to support working hours, again, from as little as a pound a month. Why not be super awesome and join both? Do something new and something different. Remember to like, share, follow, and subscribe to Working Hours. That's me. Cheers, ears. Take care out there and be kind to each other, leads. Working Hours is produced, recorded, edited and published by Simon Treen for Western Studios Leeds Limited. The music was The Bees from Chopin's Etudes, which is in the public domain and was taken from museopen.org. Please like Western Studios Leeds on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash western underscore studios underscore Leeds and on LinkedIn linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash western hyphen studios leads are you considering taking the plunge into podcasts or audio content 
then thank Western Studios for support, advice and guidance on getting it made. At Western Studios you work with a real-life lawyer who is actually in Leeds. Not a piece of software, not a course of articles or a series of live chats and video courses, but me, a person in physical place-based reality. If you want to work with me to make your podcast or any digital audio content in Leeds, whether it's for your own cause, your publicity campaigns, to promote your products, increase your sales, or just to create your own passion projects, then get in touch with me, Western Studios, now. Don't wade through vapid articles and videos and podcasts about how to make podcasts by disembodied virtual people on the web. Get on with making your podcast now, and then when it gets hard and expensive and it all goes wrong, which it will, then call Western Studios to make your podcast with you or even for you. Western Studios will take on your podcast boring, time-consuming and painful admin, recording, editing, transcription, whatever. Tell me about your podcasting pain points and I can make it all better for you. I feel your pain. For a charge, I will share it. Remember, podcast work is work. Leeds businesses, Leeds campaigns, Leeds brands. Got an inkling that you'd like a podcast but don't know where to start? Contact Western Studios at makemypodcast at western-studios.com and we'll start making your podcast straight away. The first hour of arranged consultation and pre-production time is free. £25 an hour after that for editing, recording, production. I can also arrange hefty discounts for the right projects. So tell me your idea and your budget and I'll tell you what I can do for you. What do you have to lose? Time, that's what. Time is running out. The best time to make a podcast was 10 years ago. The second best time is right now. Writers in Yorkshire, what are you doing with your lives? Hopefully you're writing. Well, I know there are listeners out there who want to hear great original writing performed as audio content that is about and for and has been made in Leeds. How do I know this? Because I'm one of them loiners what wants it. Help me make your old screenplays, unpublished novels, unperformed plays, stories, poems and performances, whatever you got, baby, and make it as podcast content. Is your work arty, salacious, pulpy, strange? Good. Is it unfinished? Good. I can help you with that too. I can work with you to find actors, musicians and voiceover artists and quickly realise your projects. I get practice making the shows and you get a finished, performed and published version of your writing. Save yourself the hassle and the headache of making your podcasts on your own by working with me instead.